We tend this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning to read at verses 25 through to verses 37. Let's read together. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, But who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest going down that road, and when he saw him, he, walked, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound him his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay, and when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The man who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. And so far we read together from God's word. Let's bow our head and pray. Father, we thank you that we can take time to read and meditate on your word. We acknowledge that without your Holy Spirit helping us to understand what it is that you're saying to us, we are completely lost. So we ask you through your person, through the person of the Holy Spirit, to presence yourself here among us and to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts that we hear your voice and obey it. In Jesus' name, Amen. So for the past three Sundays or the past two Sundays and this one being the third, we have been here on chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel. And uh, in the past two Sundays, we have been exploring the mission of Jesus here on earth. We saw Jesus sending out 72 disciples to a worldwide mission to proclaim the Gospel. And as he sends them out, he says to them, the mission that he is commissioning them to 
is an urgent mission. Therefore, they must pray earnestly that the Lord will bring laborers. He told them it's a dangerous mission because he says to them, I am sending you out as sheep among the wolves. And nevertheless, I am sending you. And then last week we saw the 72 disciples returning back from their mission. And as they come back, they are rejoicing because they saw Satan defeated through the gospel proclamation. They say to Jesus as they give the report, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And we, we walked away last week with two lessons from this lesson of the, the, the return of the disciples. The first lesson was the defeat of Satan is announced through the gospel proclamation. In other words, as we go out announcing the kingship of Jesus, as we offer the possibility of peace with God, Satan is being defeated. And therefore, we are told that we are to be confident, we are to be rejoicing and engage in God's work without fear. The second lesson we took away last Sunday was salvation is secured through the proclamation of Jesus, through the proclamation of the kingship of Jesus. We read in verses 20 of our passage last week when Jesus says to the disciples, do not rejoice in this that the Spirit are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that your names are secured in the books of heaven, that you belong to God, that you have received the salvation. That's what we walked away with um, last Sunday. Now, today we pick up the following story from the two stories that we looked at. And as we come to it, we immediately recognize that it's, a, that it's a famous story. It's one of the most well-known stories in the gospel accounts. It's the story that is known as the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. And in reality, there are two elements that makes up this story before us this morning. The first one is the big question that the lawyer or theologian asks of Jesus. And the second element that makes the story is the familiar story which Jesus tells as a result of the big question. So a big question followed by a familiar story. The story is familiar because it's the most well-known in the Gospels. But it is also familiar because it's because of the people featuring in it. They are people well known to us. And we have the first group of these people who are featuring in this story. The first group is the two robbers or whatever number they were who robbed this man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And these are kind of people who says, what's yours, it's mine, and I will take it. 
we know those people well. The second group that we pick up in this story is the kind of people who says, what's mine is mine and I will keep it. And we see this second group of people through these two religious leaders, the Levite and the priest. When they saw this man who was wounded, they decided to walk by on the other side. They said, I'm not getting involved to this man's trouble. So they said, what's mine is mine. I will keep it. Then the third group that we see in this story is the people who says, what's mine is yours and I will share it. And we recognize that person that it's none of us. Because only Jesus who can say what's mine is yours and I will share it. Our natural instinct is to say what's mine is mine and I will keep it. So that's, that's what makes the story familiar to us. It's because it's well known in the Gospels, but secondly, the people featuring in it are people we recognize so well. And as we, secondly, as we approach this story, we, we recognize that Jesus here is using what we call question and answers method of teaching. The, the story is scattered with questions and answers all over it. And this is something we not unfamiliar with. Jesus have used questions and answers in teaching a particular subject to the people. People have asked questions of Jesus and at times they received the answer they were hoping to receive. At times they have received the most embarrassing answer or at times they received a complete silence. And so this morning I want to invite you to imagine with me that this morning we have invited the living God to be literally present in our service. And because he is with us, each one of us has an opportunity to put out a question on him. I wonder what would be your question if you were to be given that opportunity to ask God a one question. For some, I imagine it would be a very personal one. And for others, it would be a theoretical one. For others, it might sound pretty bitter. And yet for others, it might sound deeply hurt. And for others, it might sound frankly confused. However, I doubt if the question in our passage this morning would be on the list of the questions we would ask of God. And there is in verses 25, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I don't think this question would be on the list or would be on, on top of the list of the questions we would ask God. Yet it is one of the big questions. Because it is about the eternal future of every one of us. It is about being with Christ. And Paul says to be with Christ 
is far better. This is a Christianity explored question. In other words, if there is anything in this business or in this God business, what must I do to get a piece of it? That's what the question says. If there is something for me in this God business, I don't want to miss out on it. So surely the question therefore counts as one of the big question. So I, Jesus here is using in this passage question and answer method. So as we come to it, we, we recognize that it is a dialogue between Jesus and the, uh, the law expert. Or putting it the other way around, it is a dialogue between Jesus and a theologian. Maybe let me say to you, as we think about these questions, that one of the ways in which we grow in faith is by asking questions. As we grow in our faith, we realize that we don't have answers for all questions. And we begin to ask questions ourselves, which helps us to grow in our faith. We realize that life is full of complex questions, and therefore we don't have answers to it. And that brings us to a questioning space, and it helps us to seek answers. Psalms is full of questions. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry with us forever? Will you not revive us again so that your people will rejoice in your salvation? It's question after question. As God's people find themselves facing complex situations of life. I couldn't think of any time better than this one where people have many, many questions. Questions about the future, questions about their faith, questions about the certainty of things. And the good news for us is that God allows us to ask questions. And as we ask those questions, he draws near to us and he walks with us and he helps us to discover answers to those questions. I wonder what kind of question you've got this morning. However, let it be said that it is not without risk um, asking questions of Jesus. It's not without risk. This is not to say Jesus did not like people who asked him questions. On the contrary, he liked it. He wanted people to ask him questions. That's the method he used to teach. However, the difference is Jesus could see the heart of the questioner. He could see the questions behind a question. And so when he answered the person, he did not answer him on the basis of the question they asked. He answered them on the basis of the hidden heart attitudes. What made you to ask those questions? He could see if the person was sincere 
but slow to understand. Also, he could see if the person knew the answer, but he wanted to trick and test what Jesus would say. And here in this passage, that's exactly what we're dealing with. And it is those kind of people that Jesus turned the tables on. And then he left them speechless, feeling exposed as Jesus answers them. So here is the lesson for us about, as we think about questioning faith, here is the lesson for us. The problem is not the questions we ask, but the problem is the heart condition. Are we asking the questions because we sincerely want Jesus to open to us, to guide us, or we want him to give us the answers we want him to give to us? And then it is those people that Jesus turns the table. Here we see Jesus doing exactly that, turning the tables to this theologian, turning the, the debate and redefining the debate of this dialogue that he's having with this um, theologian. Jesus changes the question of verses 29 into the question of verses 36. And the question of verses 29 says, Who is my neighbor? And we are told that the lawyer asked this question of Jesus because he wanted to justify himself. He, he was saying to Jesus, surely you're not saying to me every human being I come across with should be my neighbor. I have to draw the line somewhere. He wanted to make God's law manageable. He wanted to feel good about himself. That he loves a certain people of, a certain group of people, not everyone, because the law of the, the, the Old Testament was saying that. I have been in the place where I wanted to justify myself because I felt exposed by the answer I have received. Whether I wanted God to give me a particular answer and he didn't give, and I felt my idols and my, my, my heart desires exposed. And I wanted to justify myself. That's exactly what the lawyer is doing here. He wants to justify himself. And the person who wants to justify himself is the person who feels rebuked, is the person who feels exposed. How has Jesus exposed the lawyer, you ask? We go back to verses 25 through to verses 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That is Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength and with all your soul. And Jesus said to him, do this and you will leave. Jesus here is answering the question with another question. He's asking him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man responds in verses 28, you shall love the Lord your God. And he finds himself reciting 
the Sunday school lesson number one. And then Jesus says to, the, to him, you've answered correctly. Do that and you will leave. Get on with it. And work on exactly what you've just said. And now the man feels exposed as he realized that he is unable to do that. He is unable to love the Lord, the God, as he should. And therefore, he cannot love his neighbor. And Jesus changes that question of who is my neighbor to verses 36. Which of these three men was a neighbor to the one half dead? These are two different questions. The first question of verses 29 is about my neighbor. And the question of verses 32 is about you being a neighbor to someone in the similar situation. It's about you being a neighbor to someone who finds himself wounded and half dead. So he moved from who is my neighbor to who are you neighbor to? It moves from theory to practice. And it's gone from a neighbor as a category that needs defining and boundaries put on it to neighbor as a series of relationships to be entered. Which of these three men are neighbors to the man who was wounded? And the lawyer answered and said, the one who showed mercy. The mercy that has no limit. The mercy that puts you to step across all the boundaries. That's the kind of mercy this man showed. And if you're going to be a neighbor, this kind of neighbor, you too, you are going to cross all sorts of boundaries. Boundaries that involves ethnic, ethnic boundaries. It will involve religious boundaries. You will have to cross not my type kind of boundary. So here is the lesson of the story for us as we, as we conclude. Jesus wants us to get our order right in this story. He wants us to know that there is no possibility of our society, in our society, loving one another. It is impossible. It is impossible for us to love our neighbor if we don't learn to love God. If my heart is, is changed to love God instead of hating him and treating him with a difference, then maybe chances I might come to love others as well. The Bible orders what I have received from God in forgiveness. I must give and begin to give and pass it on to others, even those who sin against me. What I receive from God in mercy, I have to pass it on in merciful deeds. What God gives me in great love, I have to pass it on to others. Of course, not as Jesus does, but in little drops of kindness. 
And let's remember that unless God has done work in us, in our heart, we can never be in a position to pass on anything to him. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Who is my neighbor? And who was the neighbor to the man wounded? The one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise. And you will live. And that's the word for us. And let's pray. Father, we confess that we fail to model your example of being true neighbor, neighbors who passes boundaries to serve those who are left wounded and half dead. We ask you to do the work in our hearts so that in turn we can do the work in others. In Jesus' name, amen.